Well, we're moving into week three on our uh, Stay on Target, and tonight's message is called Return of the Order. Last week was called The Prayer Strikes Back, and uh, I didn't really say those. I keep forgetting to say the title, but those are really clever. Uh, but anyways, we, uh, we've been, hopefully, you have, the first ring was about reading your Bible on a daily basis, getting into the Word, and making that connection to God in the Bible. And then the second week, we talked last week, The Prayer Strikes Back. That one was obviously about what? Prayer. That's right. It was about praying. And a lot of people think that uh, prayer, you know, maybe it's a to-do list or whatever, but prayer is how we connect with God, how we connect on a, on a personal basis with Him. But then also, <coughs> excuse me, the main thing we were focusing on was that when we pray, we remove anxiety out of our life. And uh, we live, the Bible talks about how as the, we get closer to the end times, that uh, the stress is going to be greater. We're going to live in stressful times. And the only way to get rid of that is through prayer. Having a constant faith and trust in God, the more you talk with him, the more you spend time with God in prayer, in his word, the less anxiety you'll have in life. And I can tell you from a personal testimony that I was sometime last year, I just kind of came across that verse. I mean, I read it dozens of times, but and I read it and then I was like, oh, that's really cool and really good. And then like a couple of weeks later, I heard some other pastor talk about it. I was like, oh, that's really good. And then just kind of allowed myself to meditate and marinate in it for a couple of months and just really has led to a lot of personal freedom of just like, man, I don't feel anxious about anything. And yeah, there's questions that I have for God and things that I wonder about and ask him about. But the bottom line is there's no anxiety. I have no, and we should, every believer should live in this place where we are not fearful of tomorrow. We're not afraid of what's going to happen. It doesn't matter who gets voted on, though we have the ability to affect that, and that's awesome. But it doesn't matter who's president or not, who's not president. Jesus is on the throne, right? It doesn't matter if the Seahawks win or lose. Now, it makes it better when they win, and I feel better overall, but it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Jesus, God is on the throne. Jesus sits at the right-hand side of him. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us, and we can continue to go on anxiety-free. Amen? Amen. So tonight we are going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about this next ring and this next ring is order. And as we get closer to the bullseye, remember the bullseye is that one thing in your life that is going to take all of your faith, all of your prayer, all of your focus for the whole year. It's going to take you all year, maybe, maybe a little bit less if you get, you know, blessed or you get favor early on in life or whatever it is you get early on in the year and you nail the bullseye, but it's going to take probably most of us all year to hit that bullseye. And uh, we give ourselves time because time is a good thing. And we are to redeem the time. And the more we pray, the more we read the word, the more we're with God and he reveals his will to us, the greater benefit time becomes in our life. And so we're talking about that bullseye and you, you should still be praying and hopefully you still, you got it going or maybe you got at least a, a good idea of what it is because we got two more weeks and then we're going to write it down. You're going to keep one and I'm going to keep one. And then I'm going to mail it back to you at the end of the year and say, did you hit the bullseye? Amen. And so we're just going to so keep praying and asking God with that bullseye. But tonight we're going to talk about order. And uh, as we said before, that the first two rings were very specific in terms of this is just biblical absolute in the sense of everybody should do this. Read your Bible. Pray. You don't even have to pray about that. You don't have to seek wisdom about that. You just do that. Now, the next one is we get into order. And then the next week and the next week, these are the things that you're going to have to ask God personally. What? should the specifics be in my life? Yeah. Got it? So I'm not going to tell you what to do so much as I'm going to give you the guidelines 
And you're going to have to ask the Holy Spirit, what is it? Now, the best part is that you're already reading and you're already praying, so this should not be as hard as a task as if you're not doing any of those things. Right? Follow me? Let me give you two verses here uh, that I kind of frame this whole thing up. 1 Corinthians 14.20 says this, Let all things, say all things, be done decently and in order. Okay? Titus 1.5, You should set in order the things that are lacking. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's living and sharper and powerful. I thank you tonight, Lord Jesus. The word is going to go down into our hearts, which we declare as good soil. Lord, it's good. we're going to hear the word. We're going to receive the word. And we're going to do the word. And we're going to produce a harvest of 30, 60, and 100 fold. And everybody who believed that said? Amen. amen and amen. Order is like a pretty large topic. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things that we can cover about order in our life. And order is one of those things that... We typically in, in the world or outside of the church, we would say if somebody has, you know, sort of the OCD lifestyle, that, that that's how we sort of typify order. This person likes everything, you know, likes their binders, you know, nice and neat, likes to write straight across and has perfect handwriting. They like, the, you know, this to be. And we say, oh, that's just for certain personality types that they like that, that, that style of living. But that's not the way it is because God is a God of order, Right. He didn't just create the world willy-nilly however he wanted to. You know, let there be man. Oh, oh. let's rewind. Rewind that Holy Spirit. Let there be, you know, light, fur. You know, he didn't like, oh, oh, rats, I should have created a planet for man to be on first. Now he's floating in space, and I've got to think of something to do with him here. Okay, uh, let there be a phone booth. Stay in the phone booth, man, until I create earth. No, he didn't do that. He had an order to everything that he created, and it, was, it just went down perfectly the way he wanted it to. So we have to understand that God is a God of order. Jesus Christ didn't come to earth at just some random time. It was the perfect time. It was the day of salvation. It was the day and the month and the hour and the minute that God chose. That even in this, we'll talk about this maybe later on as we get towards Easter, that when Jesus came into Jerusalem on the final week of his life, it was the, 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 uh, the climax of Three, a number of different festivals that every certain years the Jews would have certain festivals that God gave them. And when he got there, it was like the highest day of the highest month on the perfect time. It was like everything came together in this climactic moment that only happened every once in a number of years. That when Jesus went to the cross for us, it was an exact moment in time that God chose. Why did he do that? Because he's a God of order. When you look at all of the, um, a significant portion of the Old Testament, you've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books, the Torah. A lot of those books are talking about God putting order into man's life and saying, this is how you're supposed to live. Don't eat this. Do eat this. Don't eat the crawfish. Eat the steak. That's what he says. Don't eat the guy with the cloven hoof. Don't eat the camel. Eat this guy over here. Eat this kind of bird. Don't eat this bird, which eats dead birds. Eat the bird that eats live birds. And you're like, wow, that's it's right. But he's saying, don't eat bottom feeders and dwellers. Eat the ones that are like the top of the food chain. And then Darwin comes along and says, oh, yeah, it's called survival of the fittest. And we're like, oh, that's so awesome. And God's like, I already said that. Read a whole book about it. And then everyone's like, oh, don't worry about that. So you get the idea that God is a God of order, right? And we need to understand this. Order is the accurate arrangement 
of things. Write that down if you're taking notes, or if you're not taking notes, write it down in your brain somewhere. But order is the accurate arrangement of things. Order does not mean that every hedge is cut and trimmed nicely, although that is nice. Every, every hedge is a Disneyland hedge. It's been shaped and formed and all that good stuff. That's really cool. But order is simply the accurate arrangement of things. When I wake up in the morning, I don't put my underwear on my head. Now, my children sometimes do and run around the house screaming, but I do not do that, right? Because that's out of order, okay? When you go to the beach, you don't wear a parka and, you know, moon boots. You wear a bathing suit. Okay, look, see, you already know. You think, oh, this is it's the order, the accurate arrangement of things. We do certain things. When you drive in America, you drive on the right side of the road. Now, if you go to England and drive on the right side of the road, it's going to be what? Disorder and chaos, because they have a different style of order, right? So we have to understand that order is everywhere, whether we know it or not. Think about this. When your dishes are done, do you put dirty dishes back in the cupboard? You know, or the cabinet, or whatever it is. You drink a cup. Oh, man, that was so good. I put that back, back there. I'm going to come back for you later. You know what I mean? Then you pull it out. Oh, yeah, this one's got some extra flavor in it. Just fill her up. You know what I mean? You put the dish back in the cabinet, and then you pull it out. Oh, mashed potatoes from last night. <laughs> This is going to be good, you know. We don't do that. That's that's disorder. Now, some people, single people, you may do that. Hopefully, you don't by now. You've graduated on to washing your dishes, you know what I mean? Or or you're just the kind of person that just buys all disposable. It's all paper plates, so you don't have to worry about it. But still, even then, there's an order for where the paper plates go, right? You recycle them, maybe. I don't know. You maybe don't recycle, whatever. You put them in the garbage. You put them in some sort of receptacle that's going to get out of the house, right? It's order. And God is a God of order. We have to understand that we are not just doing these things because we think it's fun or whatever. It's because God has put something inside of us, a desire for there to be order. It's interesting to note that when we look at history, we see that when people had revival in their life, one of the first things they did was put things back into order. One of the most interesting stories in the Old Testament was about a young boy. He becomes king, and the first thing he does is the temple was in total ruins and disrepair. And he goes, and the first thing he does, he reads the word. The word prophesies that there was going to be this young boy named Josiah, and he was going to rebuild the temple. And he realizes it and says, this is about me. And the first thing he does is puts the temple back in order. It was in a mess. It was in disrepair. When you look at the the course of history, a lot of what sort of Western religion did was bring order where there was no order and chaos. And we now, we call it colonialism. We say they were enforcing a culture. They were enforcing culture, some of it good, some of it bad. But a lot of it was kingdom-based because it was bringing order where there was no order, bringing order into chaos and order into disorder. One of my favorite preachers, is a, he's a preacher in Ghana, Africa, and he talks about how when they go into villages and they go into these areas where there's a lot of witchcraft and a lot of demonic, he said, there's just dirt and feces piled up everywhere. And he said, that is the hallmark and a, and a, and a calling card of the devil because the devil loves disorder and confusion. Yeah. He says, one of the first thing they do is they go in and they clean it all out. Get the natural place in order, and then we see the spiritual come in after that. 
We even see it in the, in the New Testament. Jesus says, look, uh, you know, when you go in, when, when somebody gets saved, he says the house is now nice and put in order. And when the devil that we kicked out, he's roaming all throughout the earth, but then he comes back. And if that room isn't filled, he brings a whole bunch of buddies with him and they move back into there like a frat, like a demonic frat house in your spirit. He says, don't do that. Once you get that place all cleaned up, let the Holy Spirit dwell in there. And that way, no, no devils will get in there. So we see that order is part of the kingdom of God and we're supposed to be living according to order. When you think about even when you go back to the Garden of Eden and we look at order, we see that man was not just randomly created. You know what I mean? He, uh, cheetah runs by and grabs a, God grabs a leg off the cheetah and sticks it in the ground. Okay, there's one leg, an elephant leg over here, and then, you know what I mean, a bear body, and then, you know, a sphinx head or whatever. No, he, he took man and he formed him in God's own image because there was order to it. It wasn't just this random hodgepodge. I think this is going to be a good idea. No, it was order. I'm making my kids laugh and I'm making my laugh. (laughs) It was order. God had an order from it. Self-centeredness, selfishness is typically what causes that order to get messed up. Man says, God, I don't like the way you do things. I'm going to, I'm going to step in here. I want to know what's good and evil. I want to know. I want to have that knowledge. And man, because of his self-centeredness, was thrust out of the garden. And when we think about this, man was put in the garden to tend the garden, to cultivate it. And that was a good thing. So sometimes we get to think, oh, labor was a part of the curse. No, labor was in the garden, except it was beautiful and it was ordained by God. But when we stepped out of the garden because of self-centeredness, the ground became hard. And that was where the curse on labor began. Labor was no longer going to be this fun, exciting thing we get to do in the presence of God. It was going to be this hard, laborious thing that we know it today, that labor is hard work. But in the garden, when there was no self-centeredness and there was perfect order, it was a joy to labor. Now when we get saved, we redeem the joy in labor by recognizing that we can have the same amount of presence of God, the same joy working with those among us and around us because we've restored order into labor. That's a deep thought and that's a good one too. Order never happens by accident. Right? Like when you go home and there's piles of clothes everywhere, You're like, how did this happen? This is a total accident. I swear I took off my clothes and they were supposed to walk themselves. Now, depending on how long you've been wearing them, they may do that. Walk themselves right into the, you know, the the hamper or whatever it is. Order never happens by accident. Right? Like every time we come out, you know what I mean? I was, I was joking with the worship team earlier tonight because there's like some chair devil who comes in throughout the week and you could, I could be gone for three days and like chairs will just be moved and some devil's just going, oh, don't show him. I'm going to move this chair. It's 13 degrees. And then there's like 20 of me like, what? Who's sitting in these chairs when I'm not here? Because nobody's here most of the time, right? And it's just, there's just, you got to put them all back in order, get them in there. Order never happens by accident. Okay, look at this here. Order will decide your excellence. Order will decide your increase. Order will decide your prosperity. Order will decide your excellence. Order will decide your increase. And order will decide your prosperity. Every decision that you make is either increasing or decreasing order. Sometimes, you know, even today I was was doing a little sweeping up and I was going to leave the broom in the kitchen. And I was like... I better not do that because then I'm going to have to pick it up later. 
So I just went and put it back in this little spot for, you know, the accurate arrangement of things. We got a bunch of brooms in the broom closet. I was going to leave it over there, though. And I was thinking, you know what? No, I'm going to preach on this. And I don't want to have that in the back of my mind that I left the broom in there. You know what I mean? I better at least follow my own, you know, wisdom or advice. Order is putting it back. You're either increasing or decreasing your order. When you finish your meal, if you leave your dish at the, at the table, you're going to have to come back and put it back in the sink. And if you put it back in the sink, then you've got to rinse it off, then you've got to put it in the dishwasher. We're trying to get it so that we can just put dishes straight from the table right into the dishwasher. That would be the dream. And then the dishwasher would clo- you know, close and we'd run it, and then one of the kids could unload it there. We've almost gotten that place where they'll do it every single week where we don't even have to think twice, and they do all the dishes. It's the reward of children. <laughs> Hey, but we're almost there. We're so close. We can see it. Taste it on our lips. The day of dishes is almost done. <laughs> we're teaching them order. <laughs> that's how we that's we say it. Every decision that we do. Do we finish the paperwork? Do we do it tonight? Or are you going to do it tomorrow morning? You know what I mean? Oh, if procrastination always decreases your order. It'll always lead to disorder in your life. The sooner you take care of it, the sooner you have Order. Order always precedes increase. You get things in order, and then you're able to go to another level. You're able to go to the next thing. You're able to go to the next task. Order always precedes increase. Order, think about this, order requires, and this is the part where we don't like, order requires constant attention. That's the hard part about order, is that you have to be focused on it you know, with our kids to bring, help them bring order in their life. And this is what, what makes parenting can be a challenging sometimes is you have to keep order in your own personal life. You got to put your own clothes away, but then sometimes you got to triple that with kids. And I find shoes in the weirdest places. I find socks in the strangest places. My son, for some reason, Caleb, I'll find socks on the top shelf. I'm like, how did you take this sock off? Just like, I'm like, what is this sock doing over here? You know what I mean? How long has this sock been there? And then he comes to me the next morning, I don't have any socks, Dad. And I'm like, well, did you look on your shelves? You know, because they're all up there. You know, and it's working to bring order into their life so that when they leave, they, they realize that the reason they don't have any socks is because they're all over the shelves. But now at least they know to look on the shelf. You know what I mean? I didn't know that, but my dad helped me bring order in my life, so I know all my socks are up here because for some reason I, I take them off and flick them everywhere. I throw them behind me. I'll, I'll find them later. Mom will find them, whatever it is. But we're trying to bring order into their life as much as our life, and that's what makes it a challenge is that it requires constant attention. You walk by something, uh, whose sock is this? Whose shoe is that? What's, you know, whose belt is this? Who's, my wife's famous. Where's my phone? Those are her three famous words every single day, 17 times a day. Where's my phone? I even put a charger. This is how ordered we are in our house. I put a charger next to her bed, and that's still too hard for her to put it on every single night. I don't know. I, I'm just like, she's like, my phone's dead. It's like, did you put it on the charger last night, the one next to your bed? It fell back behind the, you know, the little nightstand. I'm going to duct tape it onto the thing there. So you're going to put a sign, charge here. But it's order, you know what I mean? And we all make that decision to have order. So tonight, let me give you five areas that are that'll, that you're going to help you find order in your life. The first one is your spirit. you got to have your relationship with God in order. 
And we've talked about the last couple of weeks how prayer through Bible reading, this is the beginning of getting order in our relationship with God. If you don't have order in this relationship, then all the other relationships are going to be a whole lot harder. There's going to be a lot less order in those relationships because you don't even have a relationship with God. And so you don't even know how you feel about yourself. And our core values out there, the first core value is Jesus. Get him and then you get the rest of the core values right. But the second one is transparency. And the third one is identity. If you don't have your identity in Christ, if you don't have a relationship with him and know that he loves you, know that he's a good, he's a good, good father. It's who he is. It's who we are. We're his children, all that good stuff. If you don't have that relationship set, every other relationship is going to be a lot harder, a lot more confusing. You're going to feel envy for people for no reason, for things like, you know, why I, I feel envy. I don't, I don't even know why. What do they, what do I want from them? What do I, what do I need? And you're like, no, if God loves me, that should be enough. If God's blessed me, that should be enough. If God's favored me, that should be enough. You got to have that relationship in order. Jesus has to be on the throne of your heart. He's got to be the center of everything, the life from which all other life comes from. If you are on the throne, if your will is what you're living for, then you will never find true order. And this is where we see OCD try to take the place of true godly order. We say, oh, I've, I've got everything in order externally, but inside it's a mess. And that's where a lot of people try to make the mistake and they try and cover up their lack of relationship with God with some sort of external order, some sort of, I've got all these things, I've got all my ducks in a row, I've got everything, I've got every T crossed, every I dotted, and they've got it all together. But inside, they're a complete zoo and it looks like a dirty hamper, clothes everywhere, socks on the shelves, all that good stuff because there's no true order. Order in your spirit will always flow out into order in every area of your life. If you have order in your heart, if Jesus is on the throne of your heart, if his will is what you're living for, then the order will begin to flow naturally. We say it sort of succinctly and and generally being precedes doing. When you become like Jesus, you will do like Jesus. You will walk in his order. Jesus never wondered where his money was. He never wondered where his people were. He never wondered where his father was. He never had any misgivings. He was never out of order because his relationship with the father was always in perfect order. Amen. All healthy relationships are born out of a healthy relationship with Jesus. Hurt people hurt people. You said the same thing twice. No, hurt people will hurt people. That's the, the state that we live in in the world today is that hurt people are going around hurting people. I remember when, you know, working for various bosses and I would say, I would say, why, why are you like this? Like, well, that's because that's what I learned. This is how I learned how to be a boss. So the hurt that you now have from some boss hurting you, you're passing that on to somebody else. That's opposite of the Bible. The Bible says mercy and goodness shall follow me all the days of my life. So that means whatever situation you enter into, mercy and goodness should be the result that comes in behind you. Not chaos and confusion and anger and envy and resentment, but mercy and goodness are following you. So if you come into chaos or a chaotic place... Order should come in and flow right behind you because you're going and making things nicer and neater. Amen? Amen. Because you've got order in your heart. You recognize where things are out of order and then you work to fix them. That's what we call, another thing we call a problem solver. You'll either be known for the problems you create 
or the problems you solve, the messes you make or the messes you clean up? Which one do you want to be known for? I want to be known for the solutions that I'm bringing into people's life by the grace of God, by the favor of God, not the things that, not the messes I'm making, but by the things I'm helping clean up and able, someone's able to say, wow, my life has changed because of the order that God has placed in my life. And I wouldn't have known unless you told me. Amen. Amen. Paige talked about this a couple of weeks ago that we're a tripartite being, which means there's a fancy way of saying three parts, spirit, soul, and body. The spirit is the part that is conscious with God. The soul is the part that bridges our spirit and our body together. The body is the, the sort of the self-conscious part of our life. And they go in that order. The spirit has to be first because the spirit is what connects to God. If you're not connected to God, as we've been saying, then you're not going to have order in the rest of your life. So we've got to get that spiritual relationship with God who can only be worshipped in spirit, only lived in by faith. We've got to get that relationship right first then we can move into this soul area. Then we can have our soul submitted completely to the Spirit, and then our body will fall in line accordingly. This is the key to living a healthy spiritual life. And if you want to get more of your spiritual life, then go back and listen to the last two messages. They'll help order your private life. Okay. The, the second thing here, the mind or the soul can be broken down into three parts, the mind, the will, in the emotions. And so we're going to take three points here as part of the soul here. So the soul, the first thing, let me read this verse. Romans 12, 1 says, be transformed. Okay. And this is how you're going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Say my mind, my mind. that you may prove what is that good, perfect and acceptable will of God. The mind is of course, a terrible thing to waste. You say, well, how, how could I waste my mind on mental garbage? Okay, the reason that most of the scriptures in living by faith is repulsive to our minds is because we feed and we've been trained by this world to reject truth. You say, what do you mean by that? A lot of times we'll talk, and maybe, maybe when, when Pedro and I, when we talk about tithes or offerings, the first thing that comes into our mind is, how dare they talk about money in church? Why do they want to talk about Why do they want money? Why don't, we don't want your money. We want your heart. God wants your heart. God doesn't need any money. He doesn't need any of our money, but he's put systems in order to fuel his kingdom. But what happens is because we've heard by the world, oh, preachers want their money. They just want to live this high, luxurious life. That's not at all true. We're just trying to show people that they are blessed already and that they can be even more blessed when they follow the principles of God. But our minds are repulsed by the word because we've been trained by the world to reject God's truth. The world would say, you know what? Jesus is a crutch. Don't, don't, only the weak follow him. In fact, it's quite the opposite. This truly strong know and walk in Jesus, right? The world would say, oh, oh, the, 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 the weak, they do that. Oh, you're religious. Oh, okay, that, that's fine. That's so dumb. You, you probably believe that the world was created in six days or that God created himself. That's exactly what I believe. How could you believe that? Because the word says it's true. Well, don't you see all the scientific proof? No, no. Don't you see all the scientific hypothesis? There's a difference. There is no proof because nobody lived, depending on your persuasion of evolution, a billion years ago or 500 million years ago. So there's no one to write it down. However, there was a God who was at the beginning and from the beginning, and he relayed it to his people and said, this is how I want you to know that I created the world. Yeah. Come on. That's good. good. 
But we think there and we think, no, that, that's not true. That's not right. I don't believe that because our mind has been told by the world what we should believe. And they call it fact, but we call something and it's called truth. And truth is always higher than fact because truth will remain the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Facts will change. They will always change. So that's why we don't go, but we don't base our life on fact because a fact would say the last time I did this, I was wounded by somebody. That's a fact. Well, the truth is Jesus says that you should forgive and overcome those hurts and pains by my grace. That's the truth of it, regardless of the facts. We don't live according to fact. We live according to truth. Amen. Amen. That's good. So since most of our days and nights are hearing what the world says, when we hear what God is saying, what the word is saying, we begin to reject it immediately. That's why it's important to come together every Sunday to hear the word, because for, you know, a thousand hours every single week, you're hearing what the devil wants you to hear through the TV, through the Netflix, through the Internet, through whatever. You're hearing all the ramblings and ranting of the world system, and you're hearing very little of the word of God. I could post a picture of a cat doing something cute and get a thousand likes on Facebook. But if I post a scripture, like two likes on it, why is that? Who cares about a cute little cat? You know, I mean, no matter how cute it is or no matter what it's doing, you know, playing with a little yarn ball or whatever. But you put a scripture up there, which is truth. And people are like, yeah, it's all right. A cat. Ooh, look at the little cat. Ah! He looks like a gangster. That's so cool. Yay. The Bible tells me I'm blessed and favored and I'm going to go to heaven. Like, I don't know. I don't want to offend anybody, so I'm not going to like it today. That's, that's, that's wrong thinking. Now, I don't care whether you like something on Facebook or not. That's not the issue is do you like it in your heart? Do you believe it in your heart? Because the truth is what's going to set us free. Amen. Second thing, third thing, rather the will, we must learn to do God's will. We're being transformed by the renewing of our mind, renewing of our soul. The, 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 the mind, will and emotions are will. The soul of the seat is our will. It takes a strong person to remove self off the throne. Right. We know how hard it is. If you've ever done any sort of fasting and fasting is, uh, you know, setting aside and simplifying your life, changing your diet, whatever it is to get closer to Jesus, to hear him, to become more aware of his presence, whatever it is. But when you start fasting, you would be surprised at how vocal your stomach is. Like to the point that it sounds like, you know, a dying person on their last, you know, breath or they're in the desert and it's like, I'm thirsty. You haven't given me water in 13 minutes. I'm dying over here. How are we going to live? We haven't had McDonald's in three days. You know what I mean? You're like, what is going on? It's like, shh. You know, it's 1202. Are you going to feed me or are we going to die on this earth? It's like, what? I, I, I'm, I'm not eating fasting lunch. <laughs> like, I'm not even fasting lunch today. I just didn't eat until 1230. My stomach over here is just, you know, it's like protesting as if I was hanging it over the Grand Canyon ready to die. Listen to me, stomach. If you don't do the will of me, I will let you die. And that's just, that, it's so vocal. 
The Bible even says that the, our God's, uh, sometimes our God is our belly because of what we eat and what we want to put in there. Then you stop doing something you've been doing for a long time and every part of your body is in complete revolt. Your fingernails are mad at you. And you're like, what are you, why are you mad? This has nothing to do with you. You know, but your body just gets in revolt. It's nearly impossible, if not impossible, by human effort to remove self off the throne. There's only one person who can do that, and his name is Jesus. He even gives this example. He says, look, if, if a strong man dwells in a house, unless one stronger comes and binds him up and kicks him out, the house cannot be taken. And he's saying, you're that strong man. You're that house. You've got the security system, but unless one stronger than you can come in and kick you off the throne... Nobody can do it. But here's the thing about Jesus. He doesn't ever take your soul by force. You have to willingly give it to Him. That's, that's the hard part. When we put ourselves on the throne, when we are in control of our life, or rather we have the illusion of control, that's when it's nearly impossible to get yourself off. And Jesus, he goes so far, and he, he could have done anything. He gets in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says it like this. He says, God, I, this is what I'm, what I'm about to do is really hard. If you can take this cup from me, I don't really want to go to the cross uh, because I know the pain that's going to happen. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He says this, guys, when you pray, pray this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He says, not my will be done, not Larry's will be done, not John's will be done, not your will be done, God, on earth as it is in heaven. He's saying you have to lay down yourself, kick yourself off the chair and let Jesus reign in your, in your place. In your heart. When we willfully sin, we're rejecting God. We, di- we disobey His Word and our life becomes out of order. When we get out of order, things only get worse. Now, if you're running for Jesus and you slip up, you stumble, whatever... You know, there's still grace, all that good stuff. You repent at any given time and say, Lord, no more. Help me with this. There's grace for all that. But we got to get ourselves off that throne. Got to get ourselves off there and let Jesus. And every morning you should say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done today. One of the things, one of my favorite quotes, uh, and I forget who it's by right now because it eludes me, but he says, I can't get any. I've got so much to do. I can't do anything without praying for three hours every day. No, it was a different guy. (laughs) He says, I've got so much going on in my life. Rather than me making a to-do list, I've got to pray for three hours. That's deep. That means he, and he got up right at 4 a.m. to pray till 7, and then went on with the rest of his life and did all these things like that. But it's this idea that he was not going to be in control. He was going to let God be in control of his life. He says, I'm going to get off the throne. I know what I'm supposed to be doing today, but the main thing I got to be doing is I got to be getting in relationship with God. I got to be connecting. I got to lay down my will so that his will can happen. Amen. 
Fourth thing, emotions. The third part of your soul, you've got the mind, you've got the will, now you've got the emotions. And I don't want to spend a ton of time on this because we talked about it last week when we talked about Philippians 4, 6. Don't be anxious for anything, which he's basically saying, get in order your emotions. Don't spend time dwelling on mistakes. Don't have future conversations about what's going to happen. You never know what a future conversation is. It's that conversation you have in your head of what they're going to say and what you're going to say in response, even though you haven't had the conversation with them, even though they haven't even said anything back to you. Anybody ever had one of those before? Oh, yeah, when I get there, they're going to say this. And you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say that. And then they're going to say this. And then I'm going to say that. And then I'm going to go that, that, that. And that'll get them. Boom, future conversation might drop already done. And you come in and your hair is already standing up on the back of your neck and you're puffed up and you're, I'm going to have this future. And they're like, oh, hey, I'm sorry. What happened? Oh, yeah. Uh, I didn't even notice anything happened. <laughs> so, yeah, so funny you said that. But you had that future conversation in your brain and you were ready to give them the one, two. And they were like, oh, what did you do yesterday? I dwelled on what we were going to say all day yesterday, and you don't even care about. Okay, well, anyways, let's go. You know, let's go grab lunch or whatever. But the future conversation, God's saying, get those emotions in check. Stop having the future conversations. Stop assuming that that's what the other person is going to do, and that's what you're going to have to do, or whatever. You know what happens when we both assume, and I won't say it in church, but don't do that. Don't assume. Don't presume. Just see it for what it is, and if it's not, then move on. It's okay. Be anxious for nothing. Amen. Don't let your emotions rule you. Don't, don't worry about things that you cannot control. And here's the kicker. You can't control a lot of it, if not all of it. You cannot control the things that are going on. Can you control the economy? No. Can you control the this? No. Can you control the that? No. The only thing you can really control is your car. And a bike, maybe. Roller skates as well. Right? The rest of it, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Stop manipulating to get whatever it is that you're trying to get. Really give it up to God and say, Lord, it's yours. Your will, not my will. Hashtag easier said than done. And I know that. But we got to get our emotions in check. And when you think about this, though, you think you look at David. And David is a guy who his emotions, it looks like if you read the Psalms, it looks like his emotions were not in check. One minute he's crying and laughing. The next minute he's hating his enemy. The next minute he's dancing and shouting and praising the Lord, all this stuff. But David's emotions were submitted to the Holy Spirit. And so as he began to praise God, he said, I, I cry out to the Lord. I dance, I praise, I shout, I, I worship, I whirl and twirl because he was submitted Spirit, soul, and body, which is our last point. Number five, our body. Last but not least is our body. We must have order in our bodies. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 says this, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. This one guy said, I heard the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. Well, I hope he likes tamales because that's what I just ate. 
That's not what he means. He's saying the Holy Spirit, your body is this temple, and the Holy Spirit is the one who resides inside of it. Not in your stomach where he could eat your tamales, but he resides inside of your spirit in in the spirit side of it. And we're over here, and we need to realize that our bodies have been purchased by God at an extremely high price. Let me remind you of what that price was. Jesus, when he was going to the cross, had his back ripped open by a cat of nine tails with bone, with ceramic, with glass, and with other sharp things. And they whipped it until it was completely bloody and bones were sticking out. That's not a pretty picture, Casey. I know. Trust me. That's what I'm trying to say. He spent a lot of money and a lot of his own blood so that you could be healed. Therefore, when we step out of healing, he's, you're saying, nah, I don't really like that price. And God's over there going, please accept the price. It's the only price you're going to get. That's why we have to understand that we need to get order in our spirit so that we can declare by his stripes that were laid on his back, I'm already healed. Now, body, get in order. Amen? It is in our best interest for us to honor God with our body for longevity's sake. I want to live because the Bible tells me that the the blessed man and the prosperous man and the righteous man is going to live a long time that I want to enjoy and I want to be, I want to have a good range of motion. I don't want to have back pain. I want to be able to enjoy my body, this temple that God has given me while I'm here on earth. I'm not out here to give a lecture on how or what to eat or regular exercise or blah, 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 because there's tons of books and all those things. But it's up to you to have the desire to search those things out, to live sustainably. To live sustainably for your personal health, for the sake of the temple. Okay, just like in your brain, garbage in, garbage out, same thing in your body, garbage in, garbage out, same thing in your spirit, garbage in. It's a, it's a principle. Whatever you're going to sow, that's what you're going to reap. And in this temple, we need to be sowing the good things. We need to be sowing things that are going to help us increase and live sustainably. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, in closing here, the first two rings have been very specific You need to read. You need to pray. These next rings are about each and every one of us getting in the word, hearing God through prayer, and finding out what it is that he wants us to do. We need to... We need to get in there, and and we see these principles that we're giving, and uh, we need to spend time asking God, Lord, how can I get order in my life? Bow your heads as we close to you.